Hey, take your copy of God's Word, open up to the Gospel of John. We're back. It's been a little while. And uh, really excited about this morning's text. Um, at this point in Jesus' ministry, we're hopping into John 7, verse 24. Uh, he's performing miracles. Uh, he's making a claim that he is Israel's long-awaited Savior, uh, Messiah. And so with every public appearance, really, tension is building. Uh, some people say that he's demon-possessed. Some people say that he's a blasphemer. Some people think that he's nuts. Some people say he's misunderstood. But his constant refrain about himself is that he is the Son of God the Father. And he was sent on mission to rescue those whom the Father had given him. So Jesus, in our context this morning, has begun teaching in the very public temple... And as you would imagine, things that he's saying in his presence there causes division and much conversation, uh, which is no surprise because when the proper proclamation of the truth, whether it's in someone's dorm room or in a stadium with 80,000 people, when, when the proper proclamation of truth happens, it will cause controversy. It will cause conversation. And so that's what I want to peer into this morning and hopefully apply it. So let's read it in John chapter 7, starting at verse 25, reading to verse 36. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I've come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. I love that. That's just his way of going. I'm the boss. Yet many of the people believed him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer. And then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me? And where I am, you cannot come. Let's ask God for help. Righteous Father, we need just that. We need help to cut through our preconceived ideas about who your Son is. We need help to cut through our preconceived notions about who we are and what we really think we need in our life. So I pray that you would use this, the words of life, your truth, to, to peer into our lives, to peer into our heads and into our hearts. And will we leave changed people as we have encountered you personally in your word this morning? We thank you for it, and we ask it only in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so Jonathan Smeltzer is the guy who plays guitar over here on Wednesdays. Um, he's become a really fast, good...
good friend and um, really what first drew me to him was his beard. It's a really phenomenal beard. Um, that beard envy, I can't throw a beard. This looks like you stepped out of an Old Spice commercial. Uh, but anyway, he works over here in the uh, gym. He works in the athletic ministry. Um, does a lot of website stuff and, and, and whatever they do over there. Uh, real hardworking dude, uh, but he also has a little lawn business that he does. And this summer, this past summer, he picked up a new client for his lawn business, um, a client by the name of uh, Dr. Jimmy Young. And uh, I, I, I could not get to him in time enough to tell him, you don't want that gig. But anyway, he got the gig. And so Dr. Young lives right up the street here, the corner of Johnson and, and something. And uh, so he's, he's Dr. Young's yard guy. And um, Dr. Young had a very specific uh, thing in mind of how he not only wanted his yard done, but a specific day during this week that he wanted his yard cut during this particular week. I don't know if he had like a poker night or something he wanted to you know, impress the boys with or whatever, but I had my, my yard mode by this day. So uh, Smeltzer, I guess he's, he's new to the block, and, and so he, I guess, hears, hey, the yard needs to be cut by Saturday, and he plans on doing it like Thursday. Oh, he'll be there Thursday. Well, something came up, and he didn't show up Thursday. And uh, he's like, okay, I'm gonna, I'll do it Friday. I'm going to come Friday. I'll move your yard, make sure it's done on Friday. And, he, and something else uh, came up, and he, he did not show up Friday. So as he's telling me the story, I mean, even, I have nothing to do with it. I literally begin to profusely sweat. I'm like, wait, so... Wait, again? You didn't show up? I said, yeah, what's the deal? I again. You know, I'm like shaking for the poor guy. So Saturday rolls around, and he knows that I mean, he's made this commitment, and he's got this mission, which is, you know, keep a customer happy, but especially when he has that scary and deep of a voice, um, keep him really happy. But it's Saturday, and that's the deadline. So he rolls up to Dr. Young's house, and, you know, he posts up on the lawn with his weed eater and, and his mower. Um in the pouring rain, literally in the rain. It's raining that day, but he is so freaked out because he has this end goal in mind of like, okay, I have this mission to mow this guy's yard. It's going to happen. Nothing's gonna ha- nothing's gonna stop that. So literally, he gets out. Him telling the story, I am literally weeping because he said that Dr. Young, he's, he's like two strips in and it's raining and he's mowing the grass and Dr. Young runs out of his front door. I, I'm going to have to delete all this from the recording. I'm going to get fired. And Dr. Young goes, are you insane? And he starts repeating, are you insane? Like six times. Or, Whoa, what's going on? So anyway, the story ends happily. It's something that they laugh about now, the yard cut mode. But I just love this intensity. So I was like, well, it's got to get done. I'm going to finish the mission. I don't care if it's raining. I'm going to mow the guy's yard. Well, God the Father charged his son with a mission that's a lot more important than yard work. And the mission was this. It's to proclaim that the forgiveness of sins that was made possible through genuine faith in Christ was going to happen and nothing would or will stop that mission. And that's kind of the big point that I want you to get this morning is that Jesus will finish the mission. And that statement has great implications for your life and it has great implications for the way that you hope. Nothing did stop what His earthly mission was designed to accomplish and nothing will stop his mission to gather for himself and save a people. 
And it's interesting that he has both a a corporate or a covenant mission, if you will, that involves all of God's people, but also in your life, individually speaking, he has a mission for you. Paul states it in Philippians 1.6 that he who began a good work in you will complete it. So here we are, construction projects right in the middle of that mission that will be accomplished. So let's jump into the scene where he's teaching in the temple and people are wanting to kill him and arrest him and, and Let's make some sense of it and apply it, shall we? The first point is this. Jesus will not be silenced. Jesus will not be silenced. Read verse 25 and 26 with me again. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? But here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? People are going, wait, 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 what's going on here? This is a guy who uh, the religious leaders have assigned as a blasphemer. They said that he's nuts. They said that he's crazy. And yet they're letting him talk in a very public sphere. He's in the temple (coughs) teaching this gospel stuff about who he is and, and who God the Father is and what he requires of them. And yet they're not going up there and throwing things at him or knocking him off the podium. He's just openly preaching. What in the world is going on? And so the crowd kind of assesses, well, maybe they know that he's Jesus, like the Christ. Maybe they think he's the one, and that's why they're continuing to let him talk. He couldn't be silenced. You know, it's like on your TV. If you're at home, you're wanting to, you know, hit the mute button, but the batteries are dead. It's like, no, 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 I don't want to hear this, or I want to mute through the commercials, or whatever. I want to turn it off because my mom's talking to me. Not that you would ever do that, but you know, like, oh, I can't, it's just, it's not, I can't mute it. And this seems to be what is happening in this scene. But the crowd was wrong. It wasn't because, well, maybe they think that he's the Christ, and so they're giving him a shot to kind of give his side of the story. They were very wrong. Now, more than ever, they wanted to kill him. Tensions were mounting every time he would appear. Now, more than ever, they wanted to shut him up. Why? Couldn't they stop him? Well, the answer is very simple. They just couldn't. They just couldn't. God's plan that began in the garden for people to hear about a way out from their deserved uh, destruction and wrath and, and that they would one day be reconciled to a holy God, that promise that... that God the Father wanted people to hear that and get that was sure. And nothing would stop it. No one or no thing could thwart that. Their mouths were shut. They couldn't stop Him. Jesus cannot be silenced. Do you need proof? Let's check out some church history. So the disciples. Jesus is killed. They go into hiding. Jesus is raised from the dead, hangs out with them for a while, then he ascends into heaven. All of the disciples were killed. Why? Because people are going, okay, you want Jesus' little movement to keep going? Watch this. We'll kill you all, and it'll stop. It didn't stop. Early church history, um, Christianity uh, reaches Rome, and so then it's made illegal. And, and all the Roman emperors from uh, Nero to Constantine, uh, when, when he's converted, I mean, literally, they would 
feed Christians to the lions and watch it on the jumbotron. You know, that's that a whole era era of, of persecuting Christians. Kind of going, all right, we're going to shut you up. Christianity is now going to become illegal. And we're going to shut you up. We're going to wipe out this Jesus Christianity movement. And yet, that didn't do it. For centuries, it was made illegal to own a copy of the Gospels or any of the other apostolic writings. And there was a very intentional effort made to completely eradicate the Scriptures from the face of the earth. But I don't think it worked. (laughs) Nothing could stop it. There were arrests, murders, book burnings, and we still have the words of life. You know, the French Revolution, I don't know if you've studied that in school or I was a history major. Took a whole class on the French Revolution. (coughs) Anyway, one of the the kind of defining characteristics of the French Revolution um, was this worship of atheistic reasoning. Uh, for example, there was a, a group that uh, had removed an altar uh, at Notre Dame and they replaced it with something called the Tree of Reason. And does that not sound so stinking 2015? You know, where there would be a cross or an altar and it's replaced with the Tree of Reason. Could you not see Oprah, like at the unveiling of the Tree of Reason, like handing out Mini Coopers to everyone? You know, come, you know. That's so our modern culture, isn't it? <laughs> And yet, the gospel has not been thwarted. Voltaire, he was a French uh, philosopher and this outspoken hater of all things religious. And he wrote, he said this, in 50 years, and this would have been about 1770-ish, in 50 years, no one will remember Christianity. And this is what he wrote. He said, in 20 years, Christianity will be no more. My single hand shall destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. Voltaire died. And I doubt you've really given him much thought lately, have you? 50 years after that very prideful claim, the very house that he died in, the very house that he made that claim, hey, in 20 years... The single stroke of my pen is just going to kill that stupid movement. The very house that he made that claim became the headquarters of the Geneva Bible Society where Christians were mass producing Bibles. Do you think it's gotten any better in the modern era? I guess it's a little more sanitized maybe, but the enemy's goal remains the same. So what keeps it going? Well, Jesus said in Matthew, He promised His church. He said, Even the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, against my people, against my promise. That's why it grows. That's why it continues to go forth Your super smart college professor can't stop it. The internet can't stop it. A TV series or a movie or a book can't stop it. A law can't stop it. A political party can't stop it. A missionary that we support in China, he's a guy named Steve Torgerson, and I heard him probably seven, eight years ago at a missions conference, and 
It was, I think it was actually 2007 because the whole uh, presidential campaign at the time and everyone going, oh, Obama, he's the Antichrist, and if he gets in office, I mean, America's going to you know, crumble, this and that. And listen, I didn't vote for Obama. I have a lot of problems with, with him, okay? But what he was saying was he wasn't making fun of Americans, but he was going, look, I'm in China that's dictated by a communist government. And the gospel is exploding. I'm not praying for a change in leadership. I'm good with it. Because under that duress, the gospel is exploding. You see, God's word and His promise cannot be thwarted by anyone or anything all throughout church history, all throughout the history of the world. Now, before I move on to my second point, I want to give you an application of hope. How does knowing that affect your day? How does it affect your life? Here's how. Here is a great, great application of hope for your life. If it's happening, whatever it is in your life, maybe something that you're not comfortable with. I'll get that later. Maybe something that's uh, scary. Maybe something that is uh, painful. If it's happening right now in your life, know this. It's been allowed by a good, wise, sovereign God. Think about this. If He can silence critics long enough for Jesus to offer salvation to a crowd in a Jewish temple, and if He can fend off cops that were sent to arrest Him, If he can shut the mouths of hungry lions, then he is fully capable of deflecting pain from your life, isn't he? And yet, why doesn't he at times? Well, let's look at his son, Jesus. You think he loved his one and only son, Jesus? You think he uh, cherished him and valued him and understood him, and yet did he not allow pain? Did he not allow suffering? Why? Guys, his mission for bringing ultimate salvation to the world and, and lasting comfort to the soul is long term. And it's grand and it's much, much better and bigger than the story that we would write for our lives. What if he's preparing us for an eternity and not just a 70 or 80 years here? If this God who can do anything He wants and His Son will not be silenced throughout history, do you not think that He has the power and the authority to stop things or start things in your life? That is so hopeful to me to look at that God. Someone hand me that real quick. Actually, don't forget it. I, I, the battery plopped out and we're not going to be able to be able to click it. So it's all good. I'll tell you the rest of the points. Uh, The second point is this. Jesus will not fit in a box. Jesus will not fit in a box. So he won't be silenced, and he also will not fit in a box. Read verse 27 with me. I want to make some sense of this. But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. You see, this crowd was placing Jesus in a box. They said, wait. Uh, The ancient teachings say that when the one comes, we won't know where he's from. And we know where this guy's from. We know that this Jesus is from Galilee. Yuck. 
we've seen him grow as, as a little boy. This is not him. Salvation don't look like this. And Jesus straight up rebukes them in verse 28 when he says this. You know me? You know where I come from? I have not come with my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. And Jesus is saying, oh, so you know me, huh? You know where I came from, really? Commentator named Leon Morris writes this, if they had really known where Jesus came from, they would have known that he was indeed the Messiah. But all they knew that he, was that he came from Nazareth, an unimportant village in Galilee. They were quite ignorant of the virgin birth, of the truth that Jesus was from above, and that he was where he was because the Heavenly Father had sent him. You see, they had sized up Jesus all wrong. Their perception of what a Savior would look like, how He would act, what He would do, how He would make them feel, was totally off. My grandfather, his profession was, uh, he was a a furniture dealer for Macy's. He was like the head furniture buyer uh, for, for a ton of Macy's in the country. That's what he did for 40 plus years. Still alive. He's turned 90 last November. He's one of my heroes, absolutely. So he tells a story one time of how, you know, you have salesmen, furniture salesmen kind of, you know, uh, kind of crawling around the floor. And when people come in, you know, you kind of, you know, sick them. You know, you go, hey, can I sell you some furniture? And he tells a story of how once this guy comes in and he was like a farmer. And he was wearing overalls and this, you know, straw hat, kind of smelled. And so he comes in the store, in this nice department store, you know, furniture store. And all of the salesmen were like, uh, okay, yeah, you can take that. Because it's kind of one of those, like, maybe he's going to buy a throw pillow for like $8, you know, and our commission is going to be .003 cents. You know, it's kind of like when servers see, like, people your age coming in, they're like, oh, dead gum, I'm going to get to maybe 3%, you know. So they walk into the salesman, like, uh, yeah, yeah, you can take it. So finally one's like, oh, I mean, I'll take it, sure, and he goes, and the dude ends up buying like $100,000 worth of furniture. He buys like almost, you know, the whole showroom. Why? They come in and they, they sized him up wrong. I mean, they had this total misconception of who he was and what he would do. And this is exactly what people were doing with Jesus. And I even want to challenge you. Where do you have Jesus in a box? You know, what are your unscripted, uninfluenced ideas about him? What are they? I mean, when it's just you and the darkness, what do you think about Jesus? Not just stuff that I've told you. Not just stuff that you've heard growing up in a certain church. But what are your ideas? Where do you have him in a box? Do you sometimes go, you know what? All this isn't fair. Um, you know what? All this is kind of stuffy. All this is a little bit boring. Or maybe you get mad at the fact that Jesus gives grace to those who don't look like they have it as together as you do. What are your preconceived notions of how the rescue of the gospel is supposed to look? You know, these people, they're standing in front of the God of the universe and they're missing it. Why? They have their own ideas. They're very self-centered. They expected salvation to come like this and look like this. 
Israel wanted their Savior to come and exalt them and praise them and vindicate them and, and, and put them towards some kind of a political goal that they had in mind. You know, you might be barely missing the offering of salvation for the same reason. You might want a Messiah. You, want, you might want a Savior, but not to glorify the Father, but to glorify you. You want Him to make you bigger. You want Him to make your life better. Jesus makes it very clear that His mission is this. My primary focus on this earth is to do what? Not save people. Oh, what? I think he just misspoke. No, no, no. That's not his primary mission. His primary mission is to do the will of the Father. And we benefit greatly from that because a loving God did plan and orchestrate and purpose that he would save a people. But we're not that important. Jesus didn't condescend just to leave because we're that important. He came to do the will of the Father. To glorify the Father. That's what everything is always about all the time. That's what God demands. Glory. Because He is worthy of that. And many people come and say, huh, you want me on your team, God. You want my righteousness. You want my goodness. I can really help you out. And yet, when we do that, we put Jesus in a box. And so many people here in this crowd and in our own age are led away from Christ due to false or distorted expectations. You know, Jesus is expected to fit in this box. And when He doesn't fit, I'm out. When the breakup happens, sorry, I'm out. Because you promised me life and abundant life and goodness and happiness. No, we didn't. Uh, when, when the word cancer, when that gets into uh, my vocabulary, be it a parent, be it a friend, be it me, I'm out. Because you're in this thing that you're supposed to come and serve me. No, he's not. When I get the rejection letter or when I lose the job or when divorce happens or when this other really terrible thing happens, you know what? I'm out. Guys, that is a false expectation of who Jesus is and ultimately what His mission for your life and for your eternity is. He tells us straight up later in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have tribulation. Isn't that good to know? When you have tribulation, that oh, okay, so it's not a surprise. It's part of the design. It's, it's, it's part of the blueprint. In this world, I'm going to have tribulation. I want to close with my last point. So Jesus will not be silenced. Jesus uh, will not fit into our little box. And also, Jesus will not be put on layaway. Jesus will not be put on layaway. Look at verse 33. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I'm going to Him who sent me. You'll seek me and you will not find me where I am. You cannot come. 
One of the most common misunderstandings of Christ's offering of salvation through faith is that we can stick Him on the way away and waltz away for a year, for a decade, and then kind of come back, make the final payment, and go, all right, cool, now I'm in. You're going to cramp my style in my 20s. My 20s are important. That's, that's you know, college... Uh, that's the dating, finding a spouse, that's just getting life going. I feel like you would cramp my style in this season. I'm going to stick you on layaway because I think you have some good ideas. Stick you on layaway, and when I can come up with the sacrifice needed, then I'll come back and, and we'll talk and I'll be all in. And that is simply not an option. And I think probably one of the greatest mistakes of uh, modern Christianity is that we think it is. Because we're just so comfortable in Germantown. And we have our iCals and we plan out our lives and we know what we're going to do in the summer. And we know what our 2016 is going to look like and we know where we're going to school. And we know we're going to spend four years in that little college town. And we know that afterwards marriage is going to happen and the kids are going to. So we just know because we can make things happen. We know how it's going to go and we have all the time in the world. You know, Jesus, when he would preach... There was an urgency in his call to repentance. He preached in a, in a wartime mentality, not a peaceful like, eh, whatever. Somewhere down the road, I'll probably get serious about my Christian faith and start growing and reading that good book. And Yeah, some, somewhere I'll get serious. And I think if you were to come face to face with Jesus and his public ministry and his talking, you would feel, you would sense the urgency that, hey, I'm only with you a little bit longer. And then I won't be found. Where I'm going, you can't go. The time for Israel when he's talking in the temple was drawing near and they were about to miss it. They were about to turn around and go, crucify him. They were about to miss it. Guys, the time is short for us as well. Don't believe the lie that you've got 60, 70 years. And don't believe the lie that that's long enough. We don't know how much longer Christ will, will deal with the mass rejection. We don't know when Christ will return. We don't know how much longer you have on earth. How much longer oxygen will fill your lungs. You don't know. And so Christ says to you exactly what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, 6. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. People, I plead with you. He is near. You understand English words and you hear my voice. He is near and He is offering rescue from the destruction of that you are owed. Not because of what you can do, not because of what you bring to the heavenly table of I'm a good church kid or I've said a prayer. Coming before Him laid bare, saying, all I've got is this junk inside of me. And you take something, when you make something new from it, 
or you replace this hard, cold heart that at times I've thought was lukewarm because I've grown up at Grace of Anne and yeah, I have a little spiritual, uh, you know, ping every once in a while. But take this heart that I know does not desire you, that has no affections for you, that is not producing a lifestyle at all that reflects what you would call me to and, and demand of my life. Take it and turn it into a heart of flesh. All I have is need. That's all I've got. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. This crowd, many in this crowd walked away and they completely missed that. They wanted to silence Jesus. He couldn't be silenced. The Gospel can't be thwarted. They wanted to fit Jesus. Hey, this is what a Savior looks like. This is how He's supposed to act. And this is what role He's supposed to play in my life. And Jesus won't be put in a box. And they wanted to just kind of shelve Jesus. Put Him on layaway. Let me think about it. Let me talk to some of my professors. Let me, let me reason out if this is the best life decision for me, and then I'll come back to you. And Jesus would not have it. And so my challenge to you today, you're in this crowd. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and you're there. And He says, hey, repent. I'm not here much longer. What do you say? In your heart of hearts, what do you say? Pray. Father, you have genuinely offered the gift of eternal life to those who would call upon your name. Many in this room have. Lord, they were six years old and they were in their bedroom or at VBS and they understood that they did bad things and that you sent a Savior who did it, and He took their punishment. Lord, many did at Fall Creek Falls around a campfire. Many did at the, the base of a mountain in Colorado. Many have, or in the privacy of their own bed. But Lord, many haven't. And I would pray that You would impress upon their hearts that You are only offering redemption for a little while. And that we should not presume that we're going to wake up tomorrow morning. We should not presume that we're going to make it to college or we're going to make it out of college. We should not presume that you're just going to be kind of waiting around for the next 30, 40, 50 years begging us to join your team. Would you put an urgency into the bones of everyone who is listening? That now is the time to repent and to give all to you. To let you take ownership. To allow you to be a sovereign Lord over everything in our lives. Lord, only your spirit can burst through and make that happen. Yelling can't do it and illustrations can't do it and a guy can't do it. Only your word, only your spirit can. So I beg... For him to move. We love you. We ask all these things only in Christ Jesus' name.